brand new month. It's October already, and uh, here we are in a new month with a new series. And we're doing a series this month. As you heard on the screen, we're doing uh, a series called Death and All His Friends. And uh, the 10,000-foot the view of that is that basically this month we're going to be talking about sin. And uh, how many of you know we need to be talking about sin in the church? That's where we should be talking about sin because outside of church, too oftentimes when sin is talked about, it's, about, it's, con- it's condemning, uh, it's judgmental, it's all kinds of things. But when we talk about it in the church, it should be a safe place for us to talk about it. Because when we talk about sin in the church, we also know that, that uh, Jesus is the one that sets us free from all those sins that entangle us in our life. And where we can, to learn how to be free, we have to understand what sin is, where it comes from, and how we deal with it in our life. So we're going to spend this whole month talking about sin. Today we're going to actually talk about the big picture about sin, about death. You know, sin and death are very closely related in the Bible. In fact, a lot of times they're synonymous. And uh, so today we're just going to give an overview of sin and death and what it looks like in our life and in the life of a human and in the world. And then over the next weeks following, we're actually going to talk about his friends. So today it's death. Next, week, next few weeks it's going to be about his friends. And obviously we're not celebrating death at all. We're not celebrating it. What we're doing is we're trying to expose it in our life and, and give us an awareness of it so that we can live victoriously over sin and death in our life. Amen? And uh, we're going to start off with our text verse for the day, and it's out of Romans 6. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, as we do here for the reading of Scripture, just to honor God with his word. And I'm going to be reading a lot of verses out of Romans, actually, this week and over the coming weeks, too, because uh, there's so much in Romans about sin that's so educational for us and also life-giving. Romans 6, starting in verse 20, says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Now, that's interesting phrasing there, because I don't think any of us want to be free from righteousness. But Paul's using a little bit of sarcasm here, as he often does. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Exclamation point. Something we have to understand. But now, everyone say, but now. But now that you have been set free from sin, that's the kind of wording we like, not freedom from righteousness, freedom from sin. Now that you have been set free you and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So wages is something you earn from the work you've done. So if we're living in sin and in death, the wages we get from that is death in our life. But the gift that we get, any gift is something you didn't earn, it's something you receive freely. And that's what comes from God, the gift of eternal life that we have through Jesus. The title of my message today is that sin is always hiring. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we bless you today. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your word that leads us into all truth. And God, as we talk about sin today, I pray that you would reveal our hearts to us. Lord, if we're squirming a little bit in our seats, God, we know that's okay because you bring conviction in our life only to draw us closer to you. Lord, would you help us today? Glorify yourself in this time. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Well, before you're seated, since the title is Sin is Always Hiring, I want you to turn to a neighbor and say, I'd rather be unemployed. <laughs> we use these, uh, you can be seated. We, uh, 
use these cheesy titles to sermons sometimes because sometimes it helps us remember, remember the message. <laughs> I need it for myself too. So. Um, so, talking about employment, the wages of sin. So it, it takes me back to when uh, in, in mine and Joy's first year of marriage, we had just come off the mission field. We were poor, broke, and uh, she got pregnant very quickly in our marriage. And so we, she was pregnant. We were broke. I didn't even have a job that was consistent. And I was trying to find one. And I actually applied for one. And, and the, the guy called me and said, hey, why don't you come in and have an interview? And so I went in, talked to him, and we met for about 15 minutes. And he offered me a job on the spot. I guess he liked what he saw. You know, what can I say? Um, <laughs> and so he uh, offered me this job. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to talk over with my wife and you know he said well fine just let me know in the next day or so so went home joy and i talked about it we prayed about it and we did not have a good feeling and no matter how hard we tried we just did not feel like this was what god wanted us to do and it didn't make sense because it would have been a good job it was in my wheelhouse and it was there was nothing about it that should have stuck out that would have been bad but we just felt like we weren't supposed to do it and so we turned it down and when i look now in hindsight i realize why god told us not to do it was not because it was bad but because it would have redirected us to a degree and possibly, probably got us off course for the plan that God had for us to get us to actually to where we are today. And so I'm thankful for that. But, and you think about the employment, and at the risk of sounding cheesy and talking about, you know, sin employing us, sin wants to employ you too. It wants to give you a job. And it wants you to work for it, for, for death and sin, because his goal is also to get you off of the plan of God for your life, to get you away from the path that God has for each and every one of us. And you know, sin wants to hire us and, and, and employ us to work for him, and it promises us the world, promises us great things, right? But at the end of the, end of the day, the Bible is very clear that the wages we actually get for sin in our life is death. That is the wage. That is what we earn. That's what we deserve. It's what we get if we live according to the sin nature in our life. And we must understand it and have a working knowledge and a revelation too of sin in our life and and how the word of god approaches it and how we need to approach it in our life because all of us in fact were employed by sin the moment we were conceived because we all have what is called an inherited sin or original sin some places will call it which is basically that when adam and eve were on the earth and they sinned they ushered sin into the world, not just in their life, but in the life of every person that's born after them. The sin nature is what it's called. It's brought into our lives and becomes part of who we are when we are born. Now, the good news is that we all have a choice whether or not we keep working for sin or if we quit that job. Praise God. Because of what Jesus did, we can, we can have a relationship with him and be set free from those sins that can ruin our life and ultimately destroy us. Because see, sin wants to kill in your life, whether it's to kill the plan of God for your life or, worst case scenario, to actually kill you and may cause you to be separated from God for eternity. That's sin's goal in our life. Now, we also have to understand that none of us are good enough to defeat sin on our own. None of us. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7, he says that there is nothing good in me apart from the, uh, the Holy Spirit living in him. Nothing good. He said, in fact, I want to do good, but I can't even do it. This is the greatest apostle of all time saying, I'm not good enough. And that's comforting for us because that makes me, helps me to understand that I'll never be good enough. You see, this series is not about us trying to be good Christians and not sin too much. That's not what this is about because that's not the motivation of God for our life. 
It's about learning how, what it looks like to live victoriously over sin, to live in the grace of God, to understand that we don't have to live in chains to sin in our life, but that we can live in such a way that will honor him and give him the glory that he is due because of what he did for us. So that's what this is about. We're not going to talk about sin and try to get you to stop doing the things you're doing just because it's a good idea and it might make God like you more. That's not, what, that's not who we are. That's not what I believe the Word of God tells us to do. It's about learning to live victoriously. And so we cannot shy away from talking about sin, even though sometimes it does. It makes us a little uncomfortable. It can make us squirm in our seats a little bit, but especially if the conviction of God starts to come on our life, even if whether it's today or tomorrow or next week or sometime this month, it can make us a little uncomfortable. That's a good thing. Conviction from God is a very good thing in our life. In fact, what we need to know and understand is that there are a lot of people that come to church all the time, people that are baptized, people that serve in Sunday school and in other areas of the church, people that are leaders in the church that are good people that are still going to hell. And the reason for that is because none of those things makes you a Christian. None of them. The only thing that brings us the forgiveness of our sins that we need is faith in Jesus and the blood of Jesus that covers us and sets us free from those sins. That's it. So it's not about trying not to sin. It's about learning what it looks like to live in him and let him live through us. So that's what, that's what this whole month is about. So when we talk about sin, you know, sin is one of the most debated and disagreed about topics in the Bible. You would think it wouldn't be because it seems like the Bible's pretty clear. But unfortunately, what has happened, and this is nothing new in our culture today, it's been this way forever, is that sin is something that is an absolute. It's something that's a standard, right? But it has become some, made into something that's subjective or relative, right? Even in the church, you would think that the church would be unified when it comes to sin because it seems to be pretty clear. But even in the church at large, there is not unity when it comes to what sin looks like, how it affects our life, how God sees it, what is sin, what isn't. All of those things have become very subjective across the spectrum, right? And a big reason for that is because there's humans involved. <laughs> Anytime you get humans involved in anything, there's going to be subjectivity to it to some degree, right? And not only that, the enemy of our soul is very crafty. Man, he's crafty. He knows, he knows how to twist and manipulate, which is what we talked about all last month. Twisting and manipulating truth to cause us to believe the partial truths and the lies that, cause, that, that are designed to ensnare us, to enslave us, and to keep us in chains and to not be free from the sin in our life. Sin is viewed differently through many Christians for a lot of reasons, right? Some of it might be because of your upbringing or the teaching you had about sin and how it, how it was viewed. Maybe, maybe the denomination you grew up in, that, that, that teaching on sin was a little different than another denomination. And so it's kind of, it's, it's skewed your view on what sin looks like. You know, for some of us, even our political leans can tell, cause us to believe sin is a certain thing or it's not a certain thing. Or our social leans in our life. There's so many things that can come into play that can direct and guide us and, and even lead us astray when it comes to the idea of sin. But at the end of the day, the Bible gets the last say. Amen? The Bible gets the last say. The problem is, too many times we don't know our Bibles well enough to really know what it says about sin. And we could watch a YouTube video with some dynamic preacher that's good looking and very eloquent in how he says it, and, and he says something about sin, and we think, that makes sense. He said it really confidently, so that's probably true. 
when in reality, it might not be true at all. Because we've got to get our standard from the Word of God. That's the only place that really can speak the truth. We can't decide what sin is. This gets to decide what sin is because God is the one who created all of it, all of us. It's funny because I've even heard Christians say things like, um, you know, sin is, it's just when, some, when you do something that hurts someone else, you know, that's a sin. If it doesn't hurt anybody, though, it's not really a sin. It doesn't really matter. You know? I've heard plenty of Christians say, you know what, I don't mind cheating on my taxes because the government's corrupt. When, when it's, it's funny because Jesus said clearly, render Caesar's what Caesar's, and that was in a time when the government there was much more corrupt than ours is today. Or people, I've heard Christians say, you know what, uh, yeah, I look at porn, but it's not a big deal because at least it, it, I'm not cheating on my wife or my husband, right? So it's just not that bad. I'm just looking, you know? It's okay to look at the menu is what you hear, you know, as long as I don't order everything on the menu. So we, we have these liens in our life that we use to cause us to believe what we want to believe about sin. And so we manipulate or we twist or take Scripture out of context to try to get it to fit with our lean when in reality, our lean needs to be surrendered to Scripture. That's where you get the real truth. That's where you get really free. That's where you can walk in the freedom that Jesus has designed for us to have. And one of the greatest needs in the church today is for us to have a healthy awareness, attitude, and action towards sin in our life. And lacking any of these can have a very detrimental effect in our life because they're all very, very important. And I'm gonna take the rest of my time today in my message to go through all three of these because I feel, it's, I feel scripturally there's incredible truth that can help us in our awareness, our attitude, and our action. So let me start with awareness. We have to start here because if we're not aware, it will drastically affect the other two. It's imperative that we are aware of sin and its consequences. We cannot afford to be ignorant of sin. Amen? Ignorance is not an excuse. God does not see ignorance as, you can't stand before God one day and say, well, God, I really didn't know. It doesn't work, right? But we know, I know I know, and I'm sure you know too, that there's things in life where sometimes it's just better to be ignorant. You know, like if you have a favorite restaurant, you go there quite a bit and you really love the food, there's something in you that probably says, it's probably better if I don't really see their kitchen. I really want to keep eating here, you know? And I'm afraid I might see a cockroach scurry or something, and then it's over, you know? Or if you have teenagers, you know, and you walk by their room, and it, their room smells like the dumpster at a fish market, you just think, I just think it's best if I don't even know why it smells that way. I don't want to look under the bed. I don't want to look in any of the drawers. You just kind of close the door and hope that it doesn't come out into the hallway, right? whatever that is. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? But see, ignorance is not an excuse in our faith when it comes to sin. There's absolutely no excuse. Now, in Acts, it even talks about the fact that there was a season where God would overlook some things because of ignorance, but not anymore, because we have the Word of God. And we have the Holy Spirit in us that is his job, one of his jobs is to convict us of sin and to bring back to our remembrance those things that we've been taught. So we don't have an excuse anymore to be ignorant. In fact, the Bible is just the opposite, says just the opposite. It says that the onus is on us to understand. Paul said in Ephesians 5, he said, don't be foolish. 
but understand the will of the Lord. Now, you might read that and think, well, that talks about God's will for me. Well, let me tell you, his will for you is more about you knowing what sin is in your life than who you're going to marry or where you're going to live. No question about it. So he says, don't be foolish. Understand God's will. Understand what sin looks like and how it can affect you. We have to be aware. The Lord spoke through Hosea in Hosea 4, 6, and he said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. No excuses. Cannot be ignorant. So let's look at the word sin, just very briefly. The word sin in the Greek, it is hamartia, I believe is how it's pronounced. And it literally just means to miss the mark. It just means to miss the mark. And it, the term has become over, the, over the, the generations to mean more missing the mark of God's standard in our life. So anything that would be less or different than what God wants for you is considered a sin. I don't think that's news to probably any of us in here. It makes sense, right? And so what I want to do, just to get you thinking, I want to, think of, I want to just give you a few of the uh, avenues that sin can come into our life, that sin can be perpetuated into our life, okay? This is not an exhaustive list, but it's just to get, us, get our brains kind of rolling in this, okay? So one type of, one avenue would be a premeditated sin. And this is a conscious disregard for God's standard. This is premeditated, you've thought about it, and you said to yourself, you know what, I know I shouldn't do this, but I really want to go out partying tonight. And so you just do it. Or I know I, I, really, I really need to forgive this person, but I just can't do it right now. I'm just not going to. I just don't feel like doing it. A conscious disregard for God's standard in our life. It's a premeditated. Then there's the momentary sin, which is just giving in to temptation. It kind of happens in the moment. You know, you didn't premeditate it, but it just kind of happened. You found yourself with your boyfriend or your girlfriend in a car, and one thing led to another, and you, you did something you shouldn't have done. It wasn't premeditated. It was just something in the heat of passion that, uh, that caused you to do something you knew you shouldn't have done, maybe losing your temper, something like that. It's a momentary sin. Then there's the perpetual sin. This is the, the continual, the lifestyle of sin, where you've made a conscious decision to embrace a lifestyle that you know is contrary to God's word, but you just have given into it, you just kind of do it, and you're hoping for the best at the end of the day. But you've embraced this, not even so much embraced it, but you're just not willing to work to do anything to get it out of your life. And so there's this perpetual, continual lifestyle of sin. And then there's the unintentional sin, which is the, it's where a thought might attack your mind, like the enemy attack, like you're sitting there minding your own business, the next thing you know, boom, there's a thought that comes in, and it's a, maybe it's a lustful thought, and then you entertain it, and you embrace it, and it, it gets full grown into a sin. Unintentional sins. And, and some of these can even be ignorant sins when they're unintentional. The Bible talks about when, when God was giving Moses the law and he was giving it to the people, there's, there's places in Leviticus and Numbers where he was talking about if you've committed an unintentional sin, you didn't even know it was a sin, you're still held into account. When the Lord reveals it to you, you're still held into account to that. So there's even an unintentional sins. And these four are all sins of commission that we actually do. But number five is actually a sin of omission. There's actually reference in the Bible where there's, a, there's sins that we commit that it's not even we commit, it's something we don't do. And it's in James 4, 17. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So even not doing things, not taking care of a person in your life that you know needs some help and you ignore that and you're just living selfishly, not doing things that are 
principles in the Word of God, if we avoid those things and the Lord's convicting us of it, that's actually a sin in our life too. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other different areas that we can, that we can uh, venture into in our life. This is, again, just to kind of get our minds working so we can understand how it looks because we have to understand it so we can know how to fight it in our life. You can't fight your enemy if you don't know how he works, right? So these are ways that it comes into our life. And it's even very important for us to know why we struggle with sin. Why we struggle is because, one of the reasons is because it's pleasurable. You know, I don't, I don't struggle with the sin of writing essays out for no reason. It's not pleasurable. Well, I don't think that'd be a sin anyway, but it should be. But I don't, we don't struggle with things that aren't pleasurable, right? Or something that seems to meet a need in our life or meets an emotional need in our life. The Bible even says in Hebrews that people have chose, some people have chosen to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, it's very important that you know that at the end of that verse, it does say for a season because it will always catch up to us. But sin is pleasurable. That's why it's a challenge for us. So this thing of saying, well, like, you know, Christian life should just be about whatever makes you happy. Well, that's ridiculous because sin makes us happy for a season until we have to reap the consequences of it. That's why we do it. So it's not about us just having pleasure in life, it's actually about making sure that we're not being given to pleasure and allowing those sins that can easily come into our life to have an effect. And we must be aware of the effects of the sin. You know, somebody said a long time ago, and I remember hearing Pastor Bowen say many times too, that sin will take you farther than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and cost you more than you wanna pay. Man, that's such truth. And when, when we say that, we could probably all go to something in our life where we've experienced it. We thought, yeah, it was pleasurable for a moment, and all of a sudden, oh, no, oh, no, and then, oh, really, no. Because <laughs> it just takes you to a place where you just don't want to be, and then you can get trapped in it and stuck in it, right? That's the effects that sin has on our life. In fact, sin kills. It is death in our life. Paul said in Ephesians 2, verse 1, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So sin brings death. It's all over the word of God. Sin brings death. It doesn't make us, it doesn't just annoy us. It's not just like a rock in our shoe. It doesn't just make us a little sick. It doesn't put us on life support. It is death. It is what sin is. But praise God because Jesus brings life in the midst of it. What death was able to do, Jesus conquered it and then some for each and every one of us in our life. So we have to be aware of sin and what it is and what it can do. We also have to check our attitude. What is our attitude towards sin in life? What should my attitude be? You know, I know the church answer today, this morning, I know the answer, but what about Monday through Saturday? What should my attitude be towards sin? Because I can tell you today that our attitude towards sin will directly affect our ability to overcome it. I'll say it again. Our attitude towards sin will directly affect our ability to overcome it in our life. We have to have an aggressive attitude against sin in our life. Church, I, I know in a room this size, I know there's some of us that are being crushed under the weight of sin in our life. And some of the problem might be, potentially could be, because you might not have the right attitude towards it. And I hope to help you with that today. 
because the, our attitude towards sin is very, very important. And see, part of the reason it's hard for us to even know what attitude to have is because society is pushing so hard, society pushes hard against the church and our attitude towards sin. It wants, society wants us to be open-minded, broad-minded, you know, tolerant. Tolerance is a huge catchword today. We're supposed to tolerate everything. Everybody's fine. You know, just don't be, Christians, you guys are so narrow-minded. You know, you need to broaden your mind. You just need to be tolerant. You know, just because it's, that's the way it is for you doesn't mean it's this way for this person over here. We need to be tolerant. And you know what? The society's plan is working because it has infiltrated the church a lot. We are much too tolerant in the church towards sin. We're way too tolerant. And some of it is because societal pressure, because we don't want to be seen as narrow-minded. We don't want to be seen as judgmental. And so we tolerate things. In the church, we're way too tolerant of a lot of things. We're too tolerant of divorce. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you today, church, I'm not here to judge any of you, because I know some in here probably have been divorced. God forgives all of our sins, okay? But and sometimes divorce is one of those things that's inevitable. But it's all about our mindset in the church. It can't just be that we're just like, it's just whatever it is. You know, it just didn't work out. It's not going to work. It's no big deal. We need to guard that because the Bible is clear that God has a standard for us as believers, right? Now, there are situations that even biblically where divorce is accepted by God, but we can't have the attitude that the world has that we just swap partners every time something just doesn't seem to work out real well, right? Our attitude towards alcohol abuse, too relaxed, too tolerant. We don't, even, we don't, we don't say much about it. Our attitude towards what we allow Hollywood to put into our brains is way too tolerant. It's not even thought of anymore. We're just, it, it, it came out, it's a movie. Oh, it's R-rated with tons of sex and violence and cussing? That's eh, all right. You know, we're just tolerant. We're, we don't even look different than the world sometimes. You know, we're tolerant about arrogance. There's arrogance in the church at large. I see it all the time. You, I watch videos. I'm constantly watching preaching videos and things online because, you know, I'm, I want to be better all the time and I like to try to hear stuff. And I watch some of these some of these guys, and I think, man, you could just see it oozing out of them, you know? And greed and, and coarse language and so many things that we just tolerate, and it's partly because it's, we're letting society, we're letting those people far from God determine our standards. When in reality, we're supposed to be a standard setter that is causing those people far from God to want to be part of what we're doing. You know, people want to believe in something. They want to believe in something, church, and it's the problem is sometimes we're, we're judgmental and we're, we're off-putting because of how we approach it, and that's, that's not of God either. But let me tell you, there is nothing wrong with being narrow-minded. In our faith, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, Jesus says, narrow is the road that leads to life. So we need to embrace narrow-mindedness. Now, that is not in how we love people and how we treat people at all. It's about narrow-mindedness when it comes to truth and standing on the truth of God's word. Which is funny because, you know, the world as a whole, in many, many aspects, is very narrow-minded. The only place they want us to be open-minded is when it comes to faith, you know? Employers are very narrow-minded. They have specific things they want to see in someone they're going to hire, right? College admissions people are very narrow-minded. If I went and applied at Harvard, they'd laugh me out of the office. <laughs> Just not smart enough to get into Harvard. They're very narrow-minded. We don't tell them they have to be open-minded and tolerant, right? Judges are very narrow-minded. They're going to stick to the law. If somebody came in and into his court, a guy's court, a judge's courtroom, and he's 
murdered three people, I don't think the judge would look at him and go, well, you know what, I'm, I'm in a tolerant mood today. Just try not to do it again. You know, but you're good. We don't see that. And it's funny because, like, even some of the laws of nature, they're very narrow-minded. Science is very narrow-minded. Water freezes at 32 degrees, not 42, not 50. You can't tell water, hey, I want you to freeze at 40. It freezes at 32 degrees, and it boils at 212 degrees, period. Not 200, not 112. It boils at 212, very narrow-minded. So much of society is narrow-minded, but, man, when you start talking about faith, you guys, you're just too narrow-minded. And the, the crazy thing is, well, people will tell you, tell us, that the reason we're narrow-minded is because we're just simple, because we're just believing this book that was written 2,000 years ago or 6,000 years ago. We're just believing this, and we need to, they, they're more open-minded because they have more knowledge. Well, let's look at what Paul says about knowledge. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, he says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Because this is what that does, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. So this knowledge, when we get this knowledge, it actually draws us away from God if it's not knowledge based on the word of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with having knowledge. There's nothing wrong with higher education and going to school. Those are good things. But that can't be where we establish our faith and our standard for living based on what God would want for us. We are called to be narrow-minded in our faith. I tell you, if I'm on an airplane and we're going through a bad storm, I'm going up to the cockpit. I'm telling the pilot, hey, I don't want you to be tolerant right now. Don't be open-minded. I want you to be meticulous. You know, if I'm getting surgery, I'm going to talk to my surgeon. Be meticulous. As small of a scar as possible. (laughs) Right? We want him to do exactly what needs to be done. It's okay for us to live a life that wants to, to, to adhere and line up with the word of God and to live in such a way that honors him. The open-minded approach to sin has been somewhat rampant in the church at large. And some of it is because of society pressures, societal pressures. Some of it is because of a misunderstanding of grace, too. See, there's this idea sometimes that grace is just this, it's just this thing that it just covers all, you know, we're, we got waves of grace crashing over us and we're swimming in a sea of forgiveness and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we quote scriptures like that. And we, you know, I, the grace of God is just so great. And, and so I don't really have to be, my attitude towards sin can be kind of whatever because I just know that God just forgives me. And I just, I can walk it out, you know, and if, if I'm sinning, it's no big deal because I'm a Christian. I wanna tell you today, church, that is not grace. That's not grace. Grace is not something that just allows us to just live in our sin and do whatever we want to do. That's not grace at all. In fact, that's the opposite of grace. Look at what Paul said in Romans 6, the same chapter of my text verse. It says, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And listen, church, I can't emphasize this strong enough. This, he is talking to Christians. This is written to the church in Rome. So this is for us. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That's how we live as Christians. And offer, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. And then he goes on to tell us how we do that. He says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, 
but under grace. Some people would use that last phrase, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. That means I can do whatever I want, God's going to forgive it. Actually, Paul says, you're not under the law, you're under grace, so sin won't master you. So you don't have to go into that. Grace is not just there to just let us do whatever we want. Grace is there to actually set us free from those things that can entangle us. It's actually there to give us the strength we need to resist the sin in our lives. Now, does that mean we never stumble and fall? Of course not. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do things that, that grieve the heart of God, that miss the mark. That's where grace comes in too and says, I got this. As we confess our sin, we know that he's faithful and just to forgive us. But I think sometimes with this misunderstanding of grace, it's like we're a two-year-old running around a house with a butcher knife and just laughing and smiling, thinking I'm okay and nothing can hurt me because I'm a Christian. Whereas a parent, if you see your two-year-old running with a butcher knife, you're going to go, no! And you're going to stop everything. Whatever you're watching on TV, you're turning it off to get that kid and get that knife out of his hand. Because you know what that knife can do. The fact that the kid doesn't see the danger is irrelevant. The fact is the knife can kill. The grace of God is him coming in saying no and taking that from us, even though we don't deserve it. Even though if we get what we deserve, we're running around like a two-year-old with a knife until there's all kinds of carnage. That's the grace of God for us. And that should be our attitude towards sin, is that we are dead to sin, that we were brought from death to life and we will not let sin reign in our body. That's the attitude of Christ, of a Christian. All right, and then thirdly is the action that we would take. So we, we talk about being aware. We talk about our attitude towards it. Now, what do we do? James says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. There's something we have to do in regards to sin in our life. And you can say, well, Jesus already did it all. He paid it all. He sure did. He paid every bit of it. But, I mean, we just get, I mean, unless you can just sit in a room and stare at a wall for the rest of your life, you're, you're living your life. So there's temptations, there's all kinds of opportunities for uh, unintentional sin, perpetual sin, all kinds of things in our life, right? So there's something we have to do to resist the sin, to run from sin and to actually live victoriously. So we start by saying what we can't do. We cannot be apathetic. We can ill afford to be apathetic towards sin in our life. In fact, I would say there's no place in the life of a Christian for apathy towards sin. We can't live that way. We are meant to be aggressive towards it in our life because sin is always looking for opportunity to employ you. Always. Never stops. Never stops. And if we're apathetic and we just allow these, these certain things in our life to just stay there and never deal with them, it's a scary place to be, church, because Paul said in Romans 1, in verse 24, he actually said, that God will give us over to our sinful desires if we persist in our sin. And that totally makes sense. And, and I know it, and you probably know it too, because when you do something you know you're not supposed to do that breaks God's heart and is a sin, the first time you do it, what happens? You feel terrible, right? The second time you do it, you feel pretty bad. The third time, you feel kind of bad. The fourth time, you don't feel too bad. And by the fifth time, eh, that's God giving us over to those things in our life. That's biblical. That's, that's Bible talk. It's not me. So we have to be aggressive. There's no place for apathy. It's too, there's too much on the line for us to be apathetic towards sin in our life. Paul said in Romans 8, watch this. He says, therefore, brothers, that's Christians, therefore, Christians, therefore, new hope, we have an obligation 
But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Again, talking to Christians. So this thing of just like get saved and everything's fine, I don't see it. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Sin is trying to kill you and me. And the way God has set up this whole ecosystem, the earth and the people and the human beings and how it works, in our life, something has to die. It's either got to be the sin nature or it's going to be us. It has to die. And unfortunately, the, the, the terminology that's used here saying that the, the sin nature has died, you know, death to the sin, to the sinful nature, that, ter- that word death there, you know, when we think of it in human terms, we think, well, that means it's the end of it, right? Because like when a plant dies, it's gone. When, when your pet dies, they're gone. When a family member dies, until you see him again in heaven, that's it, right? It's pretty final. But when he's talking about death here, the death of the sin nature, it's something that you, you, it, it has to die, but it doesn't stay dead. It keeps coming back. Because we are sinful in our nature, and so we have to constantly kill the sin nature. We have to constantly deny ourselves. We have to constantly take up our cross and follow him. We have to constantly resist the sin nature in our life. So it has to die all the time. Just like the Bible says his mercies are new every morning, our flesh is new every morning too. But it's up to us whether or not we're going to let it win. But we have to keep killing that sin nature. In that respect, it is like cockroaches. They just never die. They just keep coming back, right? They say at the nuclear war, the only thing left will be cockroaches. They just don't die. It's kind of like the sin nature. It just keeps coming back. So we have to be aggressive. We have to take action against that sin nature in our life. The Bible says to flee from sin. Paul said it to Timothy, he said, to to Timothy, he said, flee from the love of money. And in Corinthians, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee, run away. Like the cockroaches do when you turn on the light. (laughs) Run. Flee like our dog does, depending on how we say her name. When we say, Ellie, she's gone. Because you know she's in trouble. You know, she's hiding under a table. Flee from the sin in our life. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Throw off. Throw off and run. Throw off and run. Sin's temptation's coming to your way. Throw it off and run. Live to fight another day, guys. Throw it off. And when, when you fail and when you, when you fall into that temptation and you don't throw it off and you don't run and you're there, what do you do? What do you do? Because that's where we are a lot, isn't it? Man, I really don't want it, but man, in the moment, it is so hard to say no. It is so hard to throw it off because it is so pleasurable in that moment. I mean, let's just be real. It is. I mean, we want to talk, walk around like we're high and mighty and super spiritual, like, oh, I hate sin. You know, sin's terrible. I never want to be drawn to that. The, the truth is we're drawn to it because we have a sin nature. So when we fail, what do we do? Well, the very next verse gives us a great insight says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
So when you are stumbling, when you're falling, and you're not throwing off and running away, what do you do? You fix your eyes on Jesus. And you think, okay, well, I, I do that, but, you know, I start to feel bad because I've struggled with the same sin for 30 years. And I can't seem to get a handle on it. And I feel so bad, and I think it's sometimes just better to ignore it. No. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, I've asked God to forgive me for this 500 times in my life. Well, then try 501 and 502 and 503. Never, ever give up. Keep coming back to Jesus. Our sin should never cause us to run from Jesus. It should cause us to run to him because he knows what it is anyway, and he loves us anyway, and he forgives us anyway. Amen, amen, amen. Keep running to him. Don't let that lie that goes, comes in us and says, oh, God's mad at me. He's not going to forgive me this time because, I mean, we've done it. I've done it way too many times, and he knows and even when I did it, I kind of knew I shouldn't do it, but I did it anyway. Run to him. Run to him. Ask him every time, God, I'm sorry again. I keep doing this, God. Help me. Help me. And he will. But he can't help us if we act like it's not there or it's no big deal. We have to take action. Run to the cross. Everybody is welcome at the cross. Everybody. Everybody. And it doesn't matter how many times you've come back. You know, when I'm at the cross, I might see you and be like, hey, weren't you just here 10 minutes ago? And you say to me, well, you haven't left since I left the last time. We just camp out at the foot of the cross, guys. Let's just stay there and hug it and hold on to it. Never let your sin drive you from Jesus. Never, never, never. You're playing right into the enemy's hands. Fix your eyes on him. Paul says to offer yourselves as instruments of holiness. In fact, in Romans 16, in Romans 6 again, in verse 16, he says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, again, sin is death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. We're gonna be slaves to whatever we obey. But one of the actions we take as followers of Jesus is that we offer ourselves. We just say, Jesus, here I am. I have nothing to bring you. I have nothing to bring you except myself. And I'm committing myself to you again today. And I know I just did it an hour ago, but I've messed up a couple times since then, so I'm doing it again. I'm just committing myself to you. It's great, church, when you get in this habit, in this lifestyle routine of repentance, it's actually pretty easy. It, it really is. Like, I don't ever come to God and think, oh, God, I know I just asked you to forgive me for this a week ago, but I did it again. I don't ever do that. I just assume that even in that, there's probably a million other things I've done that I haven't even thought of. And he's just waiting with open arms all the time. Like, there's nothing we can do. There's no sin that can, that can cause him to say, well, I'm done. That's enough. No more. None. There's nothing like that. It's just keep running back to him. Keep running back to him. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just. It is just of God. That word is for justice. The justice of God says it is justice. It is the right thing for me to do to forgive you when you confess your sins. Not just the first time or the tenth time. I may ever many times. He tells us to forgive 70 times 7. You know that number is actually not literal. It's not 490 times. It's actually infinite. That we are to forgive an infinite amount of times to the same person that does the same thing to us over and over and over again. Why would he set a standard for us that he's not willing to do? He wouldn't. He's doing the same thing, the same thing every time. He lives to forgive us. In fact, he died to forgive us. 
praise God. And my, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and I'll finish with this. The reason we don't have to work for sin anymore, the reason we can quit that job and not be an employee of sin is because of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, our righteousness is not about how good we are at not sinning. Our righteousness is about being found in him. Because, of, because when we are found in him, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Not because, well, God, I don't think I've sinned in the last three days. Because there's no such thing. Because even our thoughts that we don't even recognize can be sinning sometimes. So it's not about, well, God, I, I did good today, so I feel like I can come and pray. Nope. <laughs> You're not even close to good enough, no matter how hard you try. It's all about your righteousness being because you are in Jesus, not because you're good enough. But when we're in Jesus, he helps us to live victoriously over sin too. So it's a win-win. A win-win-win. Amen? Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I want to pray for us today. And I want to invite you, if you want to come to the altar to pray, I'm going to pray for all of us. But I think sometimes it's good if we respond to the word of God. If there's any conviction that maybe the Lord has put on you and you want to just bring it to the altar or you just want to pray here just because, you're welcome to do that. But I want to pray that God would help us to have awareness, have his attitude, and to take the action that he wants us to take to overcome sin in our life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life word is life-giving, and your word sets us free. So God, we come today, and we thank you that we are not slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. We are slaves to God. God, we come today, we offer our bodies, we offer our lives to you. You're the only one that can set us free. God, help us to be aware of sin and its consequences in our life. Open our eyes. Help us not to be ignorant to know what your word says. Help us to have the attitude that we need to conquer sin. To not be tolerant, to not worry about being open-minded in our life, but being very narrow-minded when it comes to sin and in the truth of your word. God, we repent for where we've been so tolerant because we've, we've, we've crumbled to societal pressures or we've just misunderstood your grace. God, we want to live by a standard that you've called us to. Lord, help us to take the action that is necessary in our life. Lord, help us not to be apathetic towards those sins in our life that, can, that we can seemingly never get victory over, God. We're trusting you today that you're going to give us victory over those things. We're not going to run from you in our sin. We're going to run to you. And we thank you that we know by the word of God that you welcome all of us with open arms if we come running, just like you did the prodigal son. You didn't wait for him to say he was sorry. You didn't wait for him to, to plead forgiveness. When he came running to you, you came running to him. We know you'll do that for each and every one of us too, Lord. And God, for those in this place today or listening online that maybe don't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray you touch their heart in such a way, Lord, that, that their, the conviction of their sin would draw them to you and to give their lives to you, Lord. We thank you that there's no one that you will turn away we surrender our lives to you, God. 
pray your blessing on each and every person under the sound of my voice. That you would anoint them to live their life for you in a way that will honor you and glorify you, but also be a blessing to us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said,